that's all it means. You get that. And uh, I've been through some dark days that I didn't know how I was going to possibly maneuver through it and maintain my sanity. And uh, that song means a lot to me. Uh, it, it, it encourages me every time. Man, what a great thing. Take your Bible, turn to John chapter 4. My name is Jeff Robertson. I'm the missions and outreach pastor here at the church. And uh, what that means to you is preacher's out of town and I'm filling in. The, only th- the thing I hate about that, I like to get to preach. I mean, I'm not going to stand up here and con you and try to make you think that I'm not glad to be getting to do this. But I hate it for those of you who encouraged someone or invited someone. You got a first-time visitor here because you want to come hear your preacher preach. And you get here and, and, and you got to put up with me. Um, I apologize for that. I'll try to make it worth, worth it. But nothing replaces the preacher. So if you're a first-time visitor, I encourage you to be sure and come back and hear Pastor Carter because he's a blessing, he's an encouragement, and uh, you know, he's, got a, he's got a God's on his life. And Well, thank you, I appreciate that. But John chapter 4, you know, we come in here <clears throat> to this auditorium. Uh, one of the new kind of catchphrases or popular things is to call this the worship center. We come in here and, and we have a, a worship service that includes praise and worship music. We even have a worship leader. And we come here and all of those things are designed and they have the intent to cause you to worship the Lord. Unfortunately, in society today, that's not always what happens or what the purpose of somebody coming to this place is. Now I want to look at John chapter 4. This is a very important text in the New Testament that deals specifically with this topic of worship. And I want to take just a few minutes this morning to look at that as we enter into our Beginnings of Miracles campaign. We want to look at worship this morning and see what the Bible has to say about that. And I want to ask you to do something this morning. It's a difficult thing. You want to come here, you want to get your card punched, you want to make your contribution, and you want to go home. And I get that. And you're not going to, I'm not, matter of fact, I finished early in the first service, and I don't see any reason why I want in this service unless some of you start to look crazy at me or something. But what I want you to do, your participation in this service is I just want you to ask yourself some questions. I want you to take some personal inventory about what we talk about this morning and see how you line up. Because that's really what we do. When a speaker speaks, he brings you to a place of conflict where you have to make a decision, hopefully based upon what the Word of God says. So let's take a look at that. John chapter 4, it says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now this is the Samaritan woman at the well talking to Jesus and he's just revealed some things to her that without the assistance of divine intervention there's no way he would know these things. So she's automatically, she's realized I'm not talking to some regular dude here. This guy is something special. And she says, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She said, Our fathers worshipped in the mountain. There was a specific mountain that I attempted to pronounce in the first service and I'm not going to this time. That the Samaritans worshipped in. And she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain and ye say... Now, what she's saying there, she's not saying ye as the Son of God. She's addressing him as a Jewish man. And she's contrasting the Samaritan's form of worship to the, to the Jewish form of worship. She says, ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. You know what we, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. 
God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called the Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity today to come together to, Lord, to worship you. And I pray that you would meet with us this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help, for, for your free reign this morning. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me to say exactly what you'd want me to say and not to say the things I shouldn't say. And, Lord, we, we'll give you all the honor and the glory and the praise for what's done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we live in such a society today that is so self-centered. I mean, really, everything that we do, everything that we approach, everything that we think about, our lives are focused and centered around me. It's a me society. It's a me generation that we live in. I mean, even you can, go as, you can even use the holidays for an example of how selfish we are. You take Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is supposed to be a holiday where we're thankful. You know what holidays Thanksgiving is really about? Thanksgiving is about me stuffing as much turkey and dressing in my gullet as I can, sitting in a recliner, and satisfying me while I sit there and nap. And I'll watch the game for a while, and it'll get to watching me for a while. And, and, and then, while I'm doing that, or while the men are doing that, the ladies are in the other room, uh, like, uh, you know, working on their, their shopping strategy so that they can have their ninja shopping after 12 o'clock. That's what Thanksgiving's become. And what is that all about? That's about me. It's about me eating. It's about me doing some napping being entertained by what I like. It's about me going shopping for what? There's another holiday, Christmas. The last th- Christmas is really supposed to be about the celebration of Jesus' birthday, but what's it really about? It's about giving some gifts and your kids making a big list of things that you have to go into debt and um, apply for some new credit cards just to be able to get all the things that are on that list. And you do that because you love your kids, but you also want to be able to sit at the Little League game and talk about what all you got your kid for Christmas. Because really it's a self-centered society. It's about buying that gift for your kid, but you really want to look good in front of your peers, too, make sure they know what you bought your kid for Christmas. Yeah, we got them the latest Xbox 7 or whatever's out now. You want those people to think, man, those people got money right there. They just bought that new game that's not even been invented yet. Because it's a me society. I want to be at the center of everything. Now, listen, this is the, you know, this is the pot called the kettle black here. At my house, I want to be in the middle, in the center. I want everything to be revolved around me. If there's something going on that I'm not in the center of, I want it stopped while I'm at the house because I want it to be about me. I mean, am I the only one that's that way? It's not just, what about Easter? Easter is about, Easter's about eating. I always like that. It always seems to go back to that with me. It's about eating. It's about hunting some eggs. And it's about getting a new dress or a new suit. It's not, it's not about the resurrection of Jesus. It's about going to a family picnic or something. It's about me. It's about us. And not only, you know what, not only is it about that, but our jobs, our careers, everything that we do, we base our decision in our careers about how is this going to help me. We go to work at a place. We're not interested in promotion of the company. We want to see what I can get out of it. How can I be promoted? Well, then when we get offered this promotion, The only thing we're thinking about is, well, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to have more people to tell what to do. And I'm going to move across the country and take my family with me. And after we get moved into that bigger house and buy more stuff to go in that bigger house and get a new car off the more money I'm making because I was willing to transfer, then we'll think about, hmm, I wonder if there's a good church around here somewhere. That's how it goes because it's a self-centered society. All we're thinking about is me. 
even in our relationships with a significant other. The, the websites that you go on, you go on and you basically, you fill out this form and you can, I guess it's like ordering up, you know, who you want to date and making sure that they fit all of your criteria. Whatever happened to entering in a relationship and saying, hey, I want to see what that person needs. I want to know what's important to them. I want to try to meet their needs. No, because I'm the center. It's about me. That's the way our society is. But you know what? It's not just holidays and jobs and, 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 and dating and relationships. You know where it goes on a lot? Right where you're sitting. People come in here. They come in this morning. They got up and they got, why did you go through that hassle? I'm just curious. Why did you get up today? Really, especially when, when our children were younger. We get up. If everything starts out okay, but somewhere along the way it gets off the rails and Stacy and I start fighting about something. It's usually, I mean, almost always her fault. And we start fighting about something and the kids are not cooperating. They're running nine different ways. I mean, they're grown now, but I'm just talking about back when we, and man, you're fighting these kids, trying to get them ready for church. You're fighting with your wife. You get in the car, you drive to church and you get out. Good morning. And everything is just hunky-dory. And you come to church, and you want to be gratified. You want it to be about me. People come here, and you want the church service. If they don't sing the songs that suit you, you're upset about it. If, if it's not the style of music you prefer, you're, you're a little bit in your feelings about it. Maybe if all the programs don't suit you. I like Sunday school. I don't like life groups. Well, I mean, you know. You like this church and you like what's going on here, so you should plug into what's going on here. But it's about me. I want my preferences met. That's how, we, that's how we enter into worship. That's how we go to church nowadays. Because it's about me. I'm at the center of this thing. What is the focal point of your Christianity today? Why would you come here? Now, I'm not trying to talk you out of coming. Trust me. I didn't, preach your, I didn't fill in here today to run anybody off. That's not my intention but I do want you to think. I do want to bring you to a place of conflict where you have to take some evaluation of your situation. Why did you go through the hassle of getting up this morning and getting ready and coming here and walking in and fighting this crowd to find a seat or go up in the balcony and sit down? What was the purpose of that? Exodus chapter 30. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 30 gives us a very good description, a symbolic description of worship. Schofield called this the worship chapter. If we were to define worship today, I looked it up in the, in the uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It says, to adore, to pay divine honor to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration, to honor with exaggerated love and extreme submission. The Bible word defines worship as to kiss towards. The English word that is derived from the word, the word worship comes from is a two words compounded together means worth-ship. That's what worship's all about. It's about paying the due, the person or the, the thing that you worship, giving them their worth. Is that what you did this morning? Is that what your intention was this morning when you came here? Was to offer up the Lord the worth that he is deserving of. Exodus chapter 30 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, now, this is a passage where God has given some explanation to Moses about how he wants some things in the tabernacle to be done. 
He's speaking specifically here about the table of incense. Incense was to be symbolic or representative of worship to the Lord because when they burned that incense, that smoke would waft up into the nostrils of God and would be pleasing to Him. And it was symbolic of praise and worship. And God's giving Moses here some very specific details about how this should go. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee the sweet spices, Sakti, Onica, Galbadim, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be like weight. Thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some, some of it very little, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee, and it shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. Ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. And it shall be holy, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that, to smell thereunto, shall even be cut off from his people. Did you catch all that? I want to talk about those spices for just a second. Those, those things that were put together to make this incense that's offered to the Lord. The first thing you see there is, is, is a, a spice called sack tea. And the way they had to, to, to harvest that spice is representative of what happened to Jesus when he died on the cross. And it is even red in color. And so it is representative of the blood of Jesus. Annika is, a, is, has, is representative of the saving power of Jesus. Galbanum has a healing uh, essence to it. It's a, it's a balm that will heal, and, and, and that is representative of the healing power of the save, Savior. When you come to Jesus and you get saved, there's no greater healing that a person can receive than to be healed of a sinful past. Frankincense, receiving, it, it's a reviving or a quickening power, and that's exactly what happened to us when we were saved. We were brought from death unto life. So God said, take these four spices that represent these things in equal parts and put them together. And those things together, this mixture was symbolic of the greatest gift God would ever offer to mankind. He said, I want you to take that. I want you to offer that up to me. But there's some really specific things that stuck out to me about this. First of all, he said that it was holy. That word holy means to be sanctified. It means to be set apart. It's to be special. It's to be unique. It's to be used for something very specific. He said, Whoso, he said, Ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. There's no making this for yourself at the house. Can't take, go home and gather this stuff up and make it and use it for a, for a deodorizer around the house. Well, it's just locked down there. I couldn't come up with it. It's vapor locked. See, this is special. It's just for me. Now compare that to your worship. Is your worship special? Is it holy? Is it sanctified? Is it set apart just for God? And you know, it said that, that if you did go home and make up your own concoction of this, this perfume, it said, whosoever shall make it unto thee, make it unto that, to smell thereunto shall even be cut off from his people. The application here is that the tabernacle instruction given to Moses was symbolic of what our worship should still encompass today. The offering of a gift of value that is special, unique, and intended exclusively for God. It is to show worth 
to the one that is being offered to. What about your worship this morning? Is it special? Is it unique? Is it sanctified and set apart? And the thing that you come to God with this morning, is it special just for him? I think there's some very specific things about this passage in John that I want to look at. Now that we've made a little bit of an attempt to define worship, I want to look at this passage again and expound on a few things in it. I read a story when I was preparing this week for this sermon about a lady in Mexico. She's preparing some tortillas that morning like she did every morning. And for for some reason, these ones that she were preparing... had some, you know, the, the, you know how they have the burn marks on them when they're, you know, the black marks on a tortilla. These specific ones, this specific tortilla, had those marks on it in the form that, that she thought looked like Jesus. So she takes it and shows it to her husband, asks him, he agrees with it, yeah, that looks like Jesus. And she makes a, a little shrine for it and puts it in a box and puts some cotton around it and makes an altar for it and a little shrine. And, you know, that, that's, that's crazy enough. That, that this man and this lady did that. But 8,000 people came to look at this tortilla that looked like Jesus. Now, do you see how messed up we get worship today? One reporter that went and looked at it said he didn't think it looked like Jesus. He said he thought it looked like Leon Spinks. But, you know, <laughs> if you're a boxing fan, you know who Leon Spinks is. Um, but, but that's how confusing worship can get to people, how misdefined it is in our, in our day-to-day. Verse 23 of chapter 4 says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. All that introduction was the bulk of the sermon. This won't take long. I want to talk to you about true worship. We've misdefined this thing. We've messed it up. We've got it off track. We approach this thing in such a narcissistic way and humanistic approach in our worship that we have completely got off track with true worship. First thing that I want to look at is the practice of true worship. Verse 22 said, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship. So common sense and deductive reasoning would tell you if there is a true worship, then there is a false worship. There's an inaccurate worship. There's a wrong worship. You know, 44, there's 188 verses in the Bible that use the word worship in it, and 44 of those is where someone is worshiping a false god. The Bible says in the Ten Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other god before thee. The first thing that we do in in a wrong practice of worship is what we worship. What do you worship today? What have you taken and offered the same reverence to that should only belong to God. We're all guilty of that. Every one of us. You know where most of us do it? Where the biggest factor is that we do it? With our children. I'm going to tell you something. There is that guy sitting right back there, my son. When he told me that he was going to ask his girlfriend to marry him, I immediately thought about, that means he's moving out. Can't we rethink this? Can we back up on this and reevaluate what we can do? Because, man, I, I, I mean, I think the world of him. His two sisters. I mean, I, I wouldn't trade him for a speckled pup. I mean, they're just great. They're my kids, my babies. But you know what? They don't deserve the same place that God does. 
But we've taken our children and we've elevated them to a place that if you were here several weeks ago, pastor spent a long series talking about priorities and the number one thing on that priority list is always supposed to be God. And we get that thing out of order. And nobody loves their babies any more than I do. But they don't belong on the top of the list. What do you worship today? Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your relationship with your significant other, uh, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. I've been married to my wife for 25 years. I'm telling you right now, she's the best friend i got. I give her a hard time, especially you've got folks that go come to life recovery. I torture her in there. But I love her. And there have been times, I'll be honest with you, that I got my priorities out of line. I was more concerned about my relationship with her than I was with the Lord. And those, that's never a good proposition. What we do is we offer things to other people and other things and other activities that belong specifically for the Lord. Remember that, that, that incense? That was holy. It was just for Him. There is a specific type of adoration and worship that is only for the Lord. But in our society, in the way that we live today, even as Christian people that come to church that are regular and come here, we offer those things that belong to the Lord to other things and other people and other scenarios besides what's been holy and sanctified just for the Lord. Not only do we have some improper things and some false things that we worship, but also in how we worship. The Bible says there in John chapter 4 that we should worship in truth, in spirit, and in truth. You know what? We don't have any problem with the spirit part. We can get hyped up in an emotional situation and give Jesus a praise clap and get all hung up in the glory fog. The problem is the truth portion of it. That's where we get messed up. That's where we get off track. But you know what Peter said? Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, he gives an account of probably the greatest emotional experience that anybody could ever have, be involved in. He, taught, he was given an account of the Mount of Transfiguration where he sees Jesus in all of his glory. He actually hears the voice of God audibly speaking. And you know what Peter said? Peter said, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. You know what he meant by that? He meant that my experience is second to that book. What my emotional uh, reaction to something, although it felt good, although it was, boy, I could feel the Spirit. Yes, but if you feel something that is contrary to that book, then your worship's inaccurate. Something's wrong. You heard me if you, I, I preached a couple Wednesday nights ago, I was talking about a conversation I had with a preacher. Now this is not you got to understand, my conversations with people a lot of times are based upon who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to a lost guy, I'm not going to have the same dogmatic opinions about things I will if I'm talking to Buchanan. I pull no punches with him. He's a big boy. He can handle it. But I'm talking to a preacher. And this guy starts talking about a, a, a situation he was in where the things they were doing in this church service were directly opposed to the principles of the Scripture. He said, I don't know what it was, but it was anointed. I said, no, it wasn't anointed. I don't know what it was either. It was a, a, an emotional experience that was hyped up, but it wasn't anointed because things that are contrary to the Scripture are not anointed. And if your worship is contrary to the Scripture, it doesn't matter how it felt. It doesn't matter what your experience was. You must first worship in truth and then in spirit because without the truth, then everything after that is inaccurate. Emotions come second to truth. We have a more sure word of prophecy. So there is a right thing to worship 
And there's a right way to worship. These are the practices of worship. Verse 20 says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. She's talking to Jesus about their, the places in which they worshipped the Samaritans and compared it to the Jews. And she says, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. The second thing I want to look at for this morning is the principles of worship. We talked about the, the practice of true worship. This is the principles of true worship. You see the Old Testament, the tabernacle that they traveled around with the children of Israel and would put up when they decided to stay in a place for a while. They'd put this tabernacle up. They're very specific about how to put it up and the instructions of the uh, inner sanctuary and the holiest of holies. And This was serious business because that's where God dwelt. Well, <clears throat> in the dispensation that we live today, this age of grace that we live in now, those things have all been abolished. Those things were symbolic of what would someday be true in which we live now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 tells us that what know ye not that your body is the temple of the living God. You see, when we get saved, we put our trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and lives within us. This is the temple now. So guess what else that means? Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. I don't have to go inside a little booth and sit down and speak through a screen to some guy wearing a dress with his collar on backwards to get my sins forgiven. I can go straight to the throne and I can take my petitions to the Lord and I can get forgiveness for my sins because as a Baptist distinctive doctrine, the priesthood of the believer says that I am a priest and this is a temple and I can go straight before God with my petitions. I need no help from any other man. So the principles of worship are all about this. How's your private worship? You see, you don't have to come here to worship the Lord. You have a temple. And this is the first place that your worship should start is in a private setting with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all with open face and beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. What does this next two words say? Are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see what happens is when you spend time with the Lord in that private worship, the exterior changes. It's manifested outward what's done on the inside. God begins to change things. When you spend time with Him worshiping in private, it cannot help but change your actions on the outside. So not only does this principles of worship have to do with our private worship, it also has to do with our practical worship, how we basically live our lives every day the lifestyles in which we live. Listen to me. If you're worshiping the Lord, your lifestyle will change. You won't do the things that you used to do. The jokes that used to be funny to you won't be funny anymore. Your music choices will change. Your actions, the people that you associate with, all of those things will change. I grew up in a form of, of, of denominational religion that I'm not... I'm not bitter about it. I'm not mad at them. I don't hate them. But so much of what they wanted to do was to get the outside of somebody all cleaned up and make them look good. 
But as if we can get a person involved in true private worship, it can't help but change the outside. And I believe that a person who is saved and who is worshiping the Lord will change on the outside. There will be a difference. But you've got to get that thing in the right order. You don't have to help somebody with their appearance. You don't have to tell uh, men and ladies that, that, that shacking up is wrong. If they're having that private worship and worshiping the Lord and having a relationship with Him, you don't have to tell people how to dress and how to talk and how to act and how to wear their hair. You don't have to do these things because that worship will take care of all of that stuff. If this inside's taken care of, it'll be reflected on the lifestyle, the exterior of them. Also in your service. You know, when a person is changed on the inside, I love what, what Preacher Carter Sr. said Wednesday night. He was talking about how when he got saved, there was a ladies' meeting at the church, and he showed up for that because he was saved, God had changed him, and he wanted to get involved. He wanted to plug in. If your worship, your private worship, is what it's supposed to be, you won't have to have somebody beg you. We wouldn't need recruiters anymore. We have people that their job is to go and talk to people and try to help them get involved in a ministry. You know what? We could eliminate that position if everybody was worshiping in private the way they should. We'd have to try to find places for everybody to work. If your private worship is what it should be, your practical worship, the exterior will show that. And then what follows that is the public worship. This is where we come celebrate that. But our private worship is right and our lifestyle is correct and it's showing we come here and corporately worship together and celebrate those things. You see, the, the private worship, the private worship is where we lift weights and run wind sprints and do drills and we get ready for it. The practical worship is where we play in the game and do what we're supposed to do. And the public worship is the touchdown dances and the high fives after the game's over with because we've won. And that's how it works in our lives. But let me tell you something. If you don't have the private worship, the public worship and the practical worship will go away. It won't last. Because without that private worship, this is just all superficial. And let me tell you something else. If you have the private worship the way it's supposed to be, you won't have to worry about the practical and the public. They'll take care of themselves. You can't help but do those things. These principles of worship are vital to us as Christians to go forward for the Lord, to be the kind of Christians that we should be and corporately the kind of church that we should be. Worship, true worship. We've looked at the practice of true worship and the principles of true worship. I want to talk to you for, in closing about the product of true worship. Verse 24, there in John chapter 4, it says, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. What is the result of true worship? What is the product of true worship? Jesus revealing himself to you in the form of I am. You know what's great about that I am? Remember when Moses is at the bush and he says, who should I tell him sent me? And you say, he said, you tell him I am sent you. Because you can fill in the blank for anything there. Whatever you need after the am, you can fill that blank in because that's what Jesus will be to you. But it starts, that is the product 
of true worship. When we offer up to Jesus the worth that He is worthy of, when he, we keep Him in His appropriate place, we have Him in a priority that He belongs and we worship Him in a way that is honoring and pleasing to Him, just like that incense in the tabernacle, what happens? He becomes the I am to us for whatever the situation may be. Let me ask you something. When Abraham loaded up that donkey, and he puts that wood on that donkey and he loads it down and he straps that donkey down and gets all that stuff together and he starts up Mount Moriah with his son. You think that's something he was looking forward to, he was excited about? Oh boy, we get to go worship the Lord. No, no, he was dreading that situation. And you know what? There's some of you here this morning, you have some things ahead of you that you're dreading, that you can't get around, you can't get out of. There's only one way and that's to go over the top of that mountain. You can't avoid it. What happened when, Mo, when Abraham obeyed the Lord and he worshipped him? The Bible says that he provided himself a sacrifice. God is the I am for that situation that you face. doesn't matter what it is. Exodus chapter 4, the children of Israel were in bondage to the Egyptians. And I deal with people on a regular basis every week who suffer in bondage. There's not a drug addict on this planet that doesn't want to stop doing what they're doing. There's not a person living in addiction that when it comes right down to it, if they could flip a switch, they wouldn't change that and make it different. But it's not just that. We all live in bondage at different times in our lives to different things. And what happened when these children of Israel came to God in this bondage situation and they worshipped Him, the Bible says that God had mercy on their affliction and He delivered them. You're facing a situation this morning and you feel like you're in bondage. There's no way out. What's the answer to that? Worship. Worship the Lord. In Gideon in Judges chapter 7, he faces a situation where he can't figure out why God's telling him to do these things. He starts out, he's got a 30,000 man army and he is greatly outnumbered. The Bible says that, that the armies of the Midianites were like the sand on the beach, but he felt pretty good about 30,000 men. That's, that's not bad. By the time God gets down, gets cut, done cutting that army down, he's down to 300 men. What's he do? Worships. Goes to God and he worships. And what happens? Victorious in an unbelievably lopsided battle. There's some of you here this morning, you face some serious battles, some insurmountable battles. Some of you face some battles maybe with some health issues. You're going through some family problems and some issues that you just don't see how you can possibly work all this out. Neither did Gideon. You know what his response was? Worship. You know what God's response was? Deliverance. So what do you do in this situation? What about, what about David? Now listen, we can all relate to David. We've all sinned, messed up, had a terrible situation. David's co committed adultery with a woman who's married to one of his closest friends. She becomes expectant from this adulterous relationship. So now he tries to set it up so that the husband, and he can cover it. No, he won't play along, so he murders him. Now he's committed adultery. He's committed murder. His life's a wreck. His children are going crazy on him. What does he do? worships comes to God and he worships God and he begs God please restore to me the joy of my salvation what does God do he puts it all back together for him he restores him maybe you're like that this morning maybe your life is in a situation because of sin and you're backslidden and you're struggling you just don't know how you're going to make it you've kept the facade up as long as you can 
You're about ready to throw in the towel and you have no idea. Sometimes the, the road back just seems too far. It's not. It's right here. It's as far as your seat is to right down here. You come down here and you worship the Lord. What can you get from that? Deliverance. That's what you can get from it. Not only do we see David, what about the three Hebrew children? You know something that's interesting about three Hebrew children? Their situation there, king builds this big idol and he tells everybody, when you hear this music play and I want you to bow down to this idol and worship it. The three Hebrew children said, no, we can't do that. We only worship the Lord. We're not bowing down. So the music plays and they don't bow down and we all know the story. But guess where they had to go? Into the fire. And that's where Jesus was. They didn't get to miss the fire. They didn't get to skip the fire. They didn't go around it. They went into the fire. And that is exactly where they met up with Jesus. Sometimes you have to go into the fire to be able to meet up with Jesus. Worship. What about Daniel? Daniel's thrown in the lion's den because of his worship. What happens? God delivers him. God protects him. I think my favorite story about this is Mary and Martha and we all know the reputation and the story about Martha's worship but when their brother died man they're so distraught about the situation we can all relate to that all of us that have lost loved ones and Jesus says to them he says you know he'll be raised from from the dead she said I know he will in the resurrection and Jesus says but I am the resurrection you see, Martha was focused upon the resurrection of the by and by. But what Jesus said to her is, I'm the resurrection of the now and now. It doesn't matter what your situation is or what your circumstances are or how bad things seem to be in your life. The answer to that problem is worship. And with that worship comes deliverance. All through these passages in the Bible, Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, remember they're in jail, but before they went to jail they got beat like a couple of pack mules. You know what? Sometimes you have to go through those things. It's part of your worship. It's part of your service to the Lord. But what happened when they got in that jail cell, they begin to sing those songs and worship the Lord. All of a sudden that jail cell pops open. Why? Because with worship, all through these passages, all through these stories is intertwined deliverance in every situation. It doesn't matter what you face this morning, how difficult your situation is, how huge it may be. The answer to your problems is worship. You put God in his rightful position. You offer him the worth that he is deserving of. And you will see changes in your life. My question to you this morning is what do you face in your life that you need deliverance from? My follow-up question to that is how is your worship? If I were to sit down with you this morning in a counseling situation, if you came to my office and said, I'd like to counsel with you, that's going to be my first question. How is your worship? How's your personal daily devotions? Because that's going to answer my next question. Are you worshiping in truth and in spirit? Where are you at today? What's your situation? What's your struggle? What's your difficulty? I tell you this morning, the answer to it's not in a self-help book. It's not in a motivational video. It's not in, you know, turning over a new leaf. It's in worship. That's how our lives can be changed and how we can be delivered from the circumstances that we face. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, the thing about it is, I talk about this 
worship and we get excited about the things that God will do in our lives if we worship Him. But maybe you're here this morning, you don't have the foggiest idea what I'm talking about. You don't understand this concept of worship and putting God in His right position because in order to be able to properly do that, the only way possible is you've got to be a child of God. You've got to be one of uh, his children and if you're here this morning and you've never come to a place in your life where you put your trust in Christ to pay your sin debt for you the very first step the first thing that you have to do is be saved I say all the time in life recovery I can buy you a sandwich I can be your friend I can try to counsel you and help you with some things from a psychological standpoint when it comes to addiction but if you want real change in your life the first thing you have to do is be saved now let me ask you, is there anybody here this morning? You'd have the courage to raise your hand and say, you know what, I'm just not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure of that. Is anybody like that? Anybody raise your hand? I see a hand back there. Anybody else? Anyone else? I see a hand back there. There's two hands. Anyone? Here's what I want you guys to do. Two people raise your hands. You're in opposite places, opposite spot. If you believe the Lord will save you this morning, you believe he sent his son to die, and pay your sin debt. We're going to start singing here in just a second. When we do, I just want you to come forward. I promise you, whoever you're sitting by, I'll let you out. You come right down the aisle, and there's ladies for ladies, and men for men down front here, and they'll take the Bible to show you how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. Now, for the rest of us in here, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is my worship appropriate? Is my worship worthy of the one that I worship? Am I offering to God the true worth that He has due to Him? Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for Your blessings. Lord, we love You and we praise You. We honor You, Lord. And we come to You as humbly as we can and offer You the worth that You're due. We ask You, Lord, to meet with us in the final session of this service this morning, Lord. There's two people that raised their hand and said, I'm lost. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven. And Lord, I pray that You'd get in the courage at the close of this prayer to stand up and to come forward. And Lord, I pray that you'd help those who in their lives, they take inventory and they look at their lives and they know that their worship for you is not exactly what it should be. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to come down here to this altar and to meet with you about that, Lord, and just get some things straight. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you're not saved, please come down. See one of these folks here. They'll be glad to help you. If your worship's not what it should be, come down here.